All right, church. The first question I'm going to ask is a very, very simple one. And I'm guessing, especially since we are at church, you probably will know the answer. Ready? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Jesus. He's always the right answer, right? <laughs> always. Whenever there's a question, he is the right answer. It's at Christmas time, though, as quickly and as easily as we can answer that question, we also can quickly and easily confess that we get distracted for the reason why we celebrate this season. There's many things vying for your attention, vying for your affections. There's many things that are pulling at your heartstrings. Many of us are struggling with the loss of a loved one. Perhaps some of us are struggling under the weight of holiday expectations and everyone's stress level just increases. Whatever it may be, when we come to God's word, we are reminded of why we celebrate Christmas. But it's also helpful to have certain people in our world or in our culture that help make an exclamation point about Christmas. I saw this on the news the other day. Josh, if we could pull up this slide. Believe it or not, this picture behind me is a cross at a farm, but it's not just a cross. Believe it or not, those are all cows. Those are all black Angus cows. Gene Hansen, he used his neighbor's cows and used approximately 150 young black Angus cattle to send a Christmas message to the whole world. It's the Christmas season, he said. I thought it would be really nice if we put cow feed down in the sign of the cross. The retired great-grandfather wanted to form the cross to remind the people, quote, of the birth of Jesus as the reason of the season. Amen? So not only do we want to say Merry Christmas, we also kind of want to say, holy cow. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah I, was, I was pretty excited about that one. <laughs> What's interesting here is that with 2,000 years of Christian tradition, with generation after generation of the church proclaiming this message that God exists, that God is, that he's a good father, and he's given us the gift of his son, we have seen Christmas kind of morph into something that it was never intended to be. So much so that I read another article just this week, and the gist of the article, the title of the article was this, quote, Christmas is America's greatest secular holiday. I thought that was very telling. It's written from the point of view of an atheist. And he was saying that he can enjoy Christmas and all of its benefits without spending one moment and one second thinking about Christ, thinking about church, thinking about the Bible. In fact, the modern-day surveys and polls support his conclusion. A recent Gallup poll that says 95% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Isn't that astounding? 95% of Americans celebrate Christmas, but tragically, for most, more than 50%, more than 55%, religion has nothing to do with Christmas. Christ, even though his name is in the word, has become secondary to what we celebrate during this important holiday. 
So why do we celebrate Christmas? Jesus. But have you ever asked yourself, not necessarily the, uh, the why do we celebrate Christmas, but I want to ask you another question that might get you to think a little bit deeper. Why do we need Christmas? Why do you need Christmas? Have you ever thought about that? As you're walking through the mall and people are supposedly supposed to be sharing Christmas joy as they throw an elbow and cut you in line and get angry and upset. Have you ever wonder, like, why, why, why do I need this in my life? Perhaps some of you are not looking to December 25th. You're looking to December 26th. You're looking until all of this is over. Why do we need Christmas? We know why we celebrate it, but why do we need it? Well, when you come to the gospel accounts, what you find in Matthew and what you find in Luke is not necessarily the why, but the what. We find in the gospel of Matthew and Luke the what happened at the first Christmas. And then when you turn to the gospel of John, that's really Christmas from the vantage point of heaven, we find out the who of Christmas. So Matthew and Luke, they tell about the Magi, they tell about the shepherds, they tell about Mary, Joseph, and the angels. John tells about this baby being the word of God made flesh dwelling amongst us. That he, Jesus, the word of God, was with God in the beginning. The word of God is God, and the word of God was what God made everything through. That's the who of Christmas. But where do we go to find out why? The why of Christmas. Why we need Christmas. Well, there's many different passages we could look at. But believe it or not, I believe one of the most succinct answers is here in the book of Romans chapter 8. It addresses this issue very, very succinctly. Yes, we do not need. Let's be honest. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I enjoy Christmas. I enjoy gift giving. But listen. We do not necessarily need all the trappings of Christmas, but we needed Christ to come. We needed more than just consumerism. We needed more than even just holiday cheer. What we needed was God himself to enter into our world because there was no hope for ourselves unless God himself made us right with God himself. That was a lot of himself. The point is this. What you're about to hear in Romans chapter 8 will be shocking to many of us because it's going to proclaim that man-made, man-centered, man-focused and fueled religion cannot, will not, and does not save you. It should be shocking to those of us that are putting our, our hope in ourselves. If you have your Bible open still, let's look at the first verse. The first verse is a declaration. It's like the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen now. For, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Here's Christmas. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, 
He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Any religious system based on my strength, my religious moral ability, is incapable of saving us. Now, if you know your Bible, you know your Bible well, that the law is a gift from God. The law is a good gift. The law is, in fact, a perfect gift from God. The challenge is, is we as imperfect people try to apply this perfect law and it reveals even more so how imperfect we are. That's why a lot of religious people that we know that aren't trusting in the spirit are really just pretending. What they have done is they have taken God's law and reduced it to their own personal convictions. They're not following the totality of God's law. They're following a version of God's law. And that's why they always judge themselves based not on God's law, but their law. So when they're good at something, they feel pride. When there's someone that's worse at what they're good at, it leads them to feel really good about their moral ability. And if they feel really good about their moral ability, then my goodness, God must be pretty impressed too. Just not how it works. Oh, the good news is deeper. The good news is better. But the good news for those of us trusting in our own strength, our own flesh, our own will, is truly bad news. It's bad news. Oz Guinness put it like this. He said, we cannot find God without God. We cannot reach God without God. We cannot satisfy God without God. Which is another way of saying that all of our seeking will always fall short unless God's grace initiates the search and unless God's call draws us to him and completes the search. When we understand that we are sinners, not only by choice, but by nature, meaning that, yes, on some level, we're capable of virtuistic acts, but even those virtuistic acts, let's be honest, are often focused on self, focused on advancing ourselves, focusing on surviving the moment, perhaps even focused on getting attention from others. But even if we try to do virtuous things, let us all be very, very honest with each other. We cannot keep ourselves from doing bad. This is why the Bible talks about sin, not just as a momentary mistake. It's not just a momentary lapse of control. No, it's a power. It's a nature. The truth is, we all have a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature. You have a sinful nature. Merry Christmas. This is the Bible extending out its hand and saying, Hi, I'm reality. Have we met? This helps us make sense of not only our day-to-day lives and struggles, but of what the gospel is and what the gospel always has been. If you have believed in some kind of variation or form of this good news, and the good news has never seemed good to you, Perhaps it's two things. Perhaps it's never been properly taught to you. But also perhaps, perhaps it's because we're still trusting in ourselves. Perhaps we're not looking to Christmas to find a savior. We're looking to Christmas to find sentimentality. We're looking for Christmas to make us feel good. No, Christ came to save us from us. Listen, 
Christ, or Christmas, not only celebrates the day, but the way God saved us from ourselves. Christmas celebrates not only the day, but the way that God saved us from ourselves. We know this, do we not? Hey, listen, I'm going to make this joke at church and try not to make any eye contact with anybody, okay? (laughs) We have this nature. We have this allergic reaction to God's holiness. For example, how many of us love first class on the airplane? Front row, baby, sign me up. Life is better in first class. How many of us love the last row of a church? (laughs) I want to be first class in the airplane. I want to be up front, get all the perks, in and out easy. Oh, yeah, church, I'm going to sit as far in the back as I possibly can. People in the back, I love you. (laughs) Hey, I'd be sitting back there, too. We all have an allergic reaction to God. And this is why we need not some kind of superficial, sentimental salvation. No, theologians call it regeneration. Can we all say that together? Regeneration. One of our favorite Christmas carols sings of it. Hark the herald angels sing. You know this song. Prince of, oh, hail the heaven born, Prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Listen to these. This is amazing theology. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them what? Second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You see, Jesus was born to give us new birth. Jesus was born to bring us into the family of God. God sent his son into the world to make sons and daughters of rebels, of enemies, of people that were apathetic and uninterested. This is why we celebrate Christmas, so that we could have new life. This was the hope of the prophets. For example, Josh, let's pull up this slide. This is from the prophet Ezekiel, way back, about six centuries before the first Christmas. God said this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put, what does it say, church? My spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, obedience matters. But what we try to do is we try to do it in our own strength, with our own flesh and our own power. The hope always was, even before the first Christmas, that God would give us a new heart. You don't need to raise your hands on this one. When we hear and see a heart of stone in this verse, oh, I know even the best of Christians can relate to that. For whatever reason, we've grown cold, distant, unloving, and uncaring. We could say yes and amen that we're saved by the grace of God. We could say yes and amen that we're relying on the Spirit of God. But as far as true grace pouring out from our hearts, it's been a very long time. This was always the hope. The law was given to reveal God's holiness, but it was never meant to save. There's only one that could do that. And that's the message of Christmas. Let's look at this next verse. Talking about second birth, new birth, being born again. 
The Gospel of John starts out the story telling this truth. To all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, or of the will of man, but born what? Of God. Next verse. So we hear the Old Testament prophets. We hear the Apostle John. Now we hear the Apostle Peter. You have been born again, not of perishable sheed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. The prophets, the gospel of John, the Apostle Peter. Next, let's look at the next verse. I believe it's James. Of his own will, he brought you forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There's something new. He's created in you something new, something alive, something vibrant, something filled with his spirit. And Jesus himself said it as clearly and as emphatically as he can. And I want everyone to hear this truth. Next slide. John 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, you cannot know the kingdom. We need to be born, not just physically, but born again spiritually. This has always been our hope. I like how David Platt puts it. He says, being a Christian involves leaving behind superficial religion for supernatural regeneration. John Owen, the Puritan writer, said this, He said, trying to be holy from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention onto the end of self-righteousness is the soul and the substance of all false religion in the world. Have you ever seen anyone do something really, really goofy or really, really good and thought to yourself, what has gotten into them? We say that of our kids all the time. What has gotten into them? Now, have you ever noticed that they're doing something bad, it's usually your spouse's side of the family, and if they're doing something good, it's usually your side of the family? <laughs> I remember when I was substituting out in Montana, and I was substituting a fourth grade class, and these kids were notoriously troublemakers. And there was one little sweet little girl, I'll never forget her face, she's chomping on her pen, all of a sudden, my back turned on the chalkboard, I hear a crack, and I hear crying. She broke the pen, and all the ink was filling her mouth, going down her throat, and dripping all over her face. Quickly, I thought, oh my goodness, this girl's in trouble, and oh my goodness, I'm never going to work again. (laughs) So I run over to the sink. I start clearing out the ink out of her mouth. And then all of a sudden, I hear all the boys in the classroom giggling behind me. What they had done is they had taken all the caps off their pens and started sucking the ink out of their pens. True story. I thought to myself, what has gotten in to these kids? That really is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, first off, as we sing, what child is this? But then secondly, what's gotten into you? You ever meet somebody that comes to know Jesus for the first time? It's awesome. But they can't help but tell people. And all their friends and their family say, What has gotten into you? You never even talked about Jesus all the time. Now you're one of these born-again Jesus freaks. (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) What has gotten into you? The 
truth is, if you have the Spirit of God in you, then we will see a supernatural transformation. Now, it's not always easy, and it's not always consistent. It's not like it's a rocket ship to heaven. No, it's more like a roller coaster. But the Spirit of God is in you. And that's why the Apostle Paul says here, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This Christmas, as we love our families and love each other, as we mourn the loss of loved ones, as we look to the year ahead, let us not graduate from our need for Christmas the day after Christmas is over. We need God's grace not only on our best day, not only on our worst day, but our best day as well. We need God's grace not only on our first day, but our last day. We need not, not only God's grace on Christmas Day, but every day. So the question is, church, do you know him? You might know about Christmas. You might even sing some of the songs. But do you know Christ? Has he filled your heart? Have you turned from sin? Because every time there is a proclamation of the Christmas message, and we look to his cradle, we have to look to his cross because that's why Christ came. God is with us. God died for us. And then hallelujah, God rose again to defeat sin, Satan, and death forever for all who believe. Are we trusting in that power or our own? This Christmas, not just a church, but in our personal private lives. Let us truly make home for Christ in our hearts. Let us truly seek him to make him, to make us new. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for all the wonderful blessings of Christmas. We thank you, God, for all the ways that you continue to love us, pursue us, seek us, forgive us, carry us. But Lord, it's for those that are tired and weary. It's for the exhausted. It's for the hardened hearts. It's for those, God, that need to remember the promise of Ezekiel, that he will give his spirit and he will make us new as he reconciles us unto himself. Where are we, my friends? Where are we with Christmas? But more importantly, where are we with Christ? Do you know him? Have you turned from sin and returned to the Father? The path towards eternity is a path that begins with a cradle and leads to a cross. We're going to give you an opportunity now to open up your heart and to believe, to make this Christmas perhaps different from all the others. With that said, in a spirit of prayer, I'm going to invite you to rise. Let's stand together, church. Let's stand. <laughs>